How would you like to be remembered? What would you like for your last words to be? I mean, what a positive way to start a message, right? When you're dead and gone, how do you want people to remember you? And what do you want them to be thinking about you? But have you ever thought about what would I like my last words to be? That's a little bit about what we're thinking about today. And we're going to be looking in the scripture. Now, I want to be clear. We're not looking at precisely the last words of Jesus. But anything that Jesus said or spoke post-resurrection until the day of his ascension, we call the last words of Jesus. And we're looking at that this morning. And I ask you, what would you like to be known for saying as your last words? Because I think it's important. What it really does is it causes us to stop and think about who would I want to be with and what would I want to say them to them at the moment where I leave this earth? Powerful question. Jesus wanted to be with his disciples. And he says some glorious things that I would argue, and I think that the scripture would as well, is not only things that are relevant and binding for those disciples that were there with Jesus, but for us as well. And so this morning, as we start a month-long series on the Great Commission and all the wonderful facets of that. What does it mean to do the Great Commission here? What does it mean to do the Great Commission globally? What does it mean to do the Great Commission where you work, where you study, or where you live? We're going to start with some of Jesus' famous last words, the Great Commission. I invite you to open in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. And if you're a guest today, or if you're not a guest, and you just simply don't have a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you a copy. Uh, There's Bibles like this, right, in my hand. There's Bibles like this in the back on the bookcase, and so we would love to invest that into your life. We don't believe there's a better gift for us to give to you than the gift of investing the Word of God into your life. So please take a copy of the Bible if you need one. We would love for you to have it. But this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Bible, that's in the New Testament. And the, the book of Matthew, or you may have heard it called the Gospel of Matthew, is in fact one of the books of the Bible that talks about the life and ministry and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is... Not as though any of them are not significant, but this book of the Bible is incredibly significant because it talks about all that Jesus said and did here on earth. We have to be looking at a passage in the scripture there at the last of the book of Matthew, and he's talking to his disciples. He has been born, he's been dedicated at the temple, he's begun his public ministry, he's been baptized, he's done incredible teaching, he's done incredible miracles, he's been arrested, tried, crucified, put in the tomb, resurrected, and this is where we began this morning in the story of Jesus's life. So starting in verse 16, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Some of your translations will say teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you see, if you have your bulletin, there's a couple of things that we're going to do this morning. There's a couple of things that we want to accomplish. And you see this morning that we're going to be focusing, getting clarity and being confident in some things. So what we want to do is take what Jesus was saying to the disciples and understand it and then say, okay, what do I need to focus on? What do I need to define in this scripture? Where, where do I need clarity? Where do I need confidence? Where do I need the word of God to just encourage me this morning? Then we're going to think about who it was that Jesus was speaking to when he was speaking to the disciples on that mountainside. And then we want to talk about some practical things. How does this relate to, connect to, inform my life? The first thing I want to say this morning as we begin making notes is that we need to be focused on the command. You know, we get focused on a lot of things in life, don't we? If each one of us were to stand up, you probably could stand up and give a list of four to five to 20,000 things that's going on in your life right now, that's, that's fighting for attention in your life, that's trying to focus, force you to refocus on all kinds of things in your life. I want to say to you this morning that if you brought with you a passion to do what it is that God wants you to do, this is where you need your focus. You need your focus on the command. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that it's, it's hard for us, right? Because we don't like to be told what to do. We struggle with the idea that anybody would give us a command. And you may be listening this morning going, well, who is this Jesus fella to give me a command? Good question. He was crucified for you. Did you know that? Did you know that when you read the story in the Gospels or when you think about Good Friday or if you're walking through the grocery store and you see somebody wearing uh, this beautiful necklace, this great jewelry, and it's got a cross and it's got Jesus on it. And you look and you say, oh, that's just a beautiful piece. And you know a lot about the crucifixion. But did you know that literally you were the reason that he was on that cross? So when we ask the question, who is Jesus to give me a command on what I need to focus on in my life? He's the one who was crucified for you. He took the punishment of your sin so that you could be redeemed and you could have peace with God. That's who he is. But that's not all he is. He's also the one who walked out of the tomb. And so whether you verbalize or internally struggling with, who is this Jesus to make a command? Be careful, because he's the one who conquered death. And anyone who has the power to conquer death has the power to make commands of me. Now it's fair to say, wait a second, pastor. 
He's not the only one who was resurrected from the dead in the Bible. Fair. Wasn't Lazarus resurrected? Yeah, but I'll one-up you. There's people in the Old Testament that were resurrected from the dead. And so when we think about who is Jesus to have the authority to make commands of people and what they're supposed to focus on in their life. And then I say, well, he's the one who was crucified and was resurrected. And maybe somebody would say, yeah, but he's not the only one that was resurrected. He's the only one that didn't die again. Think about that. The uniqueness of Jesus' resurrection is that he's the only one in the Bible, in the history of man, who has been resurrected and then ascended into the right hand of the Father. So to answer your question, he is the crucified and eternally resurrected one. That's who gives us this command. And I would just say two words before we move on. If you, if you have inside of you to obey the command, and I know that I can't put that inside of you, and I know that in a room like this, I'm talking to all different types of people, some people who are incredibly motivated to obey God and to be shaped by the word of God, and there's some people here this morning who might be skeptics, and you're just trying to figure out the whole God thing and whether or not you believe that God exists or you trust the Bible. I get that. But if you brought with you a passion to do what it is that the scripture calls you to do. I want to give you two words that are important if we're going to focus on the command. One is it takes activeness. We are not going to accidentally, by default, make disciples of all the nations. So this is something that we're going to be, have to be active in doing. So in order to walk with God and to do what it is that the Scripture calls us to do, we have to do it. It has to be something that's active and it has to be intentional. Again, we don't accidentally do it. When Jesus looks at his disciples and they're there on the mountainside in Galilee and he says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations, that takes activity And you know what else it takes? It takes intentionality. It's something that we have to do. Now, so we've talked about focusing in then on the command. But I want for us to look next. I want for us to get some clarity. I want for us to get some definition on what it means to be a disciple. Let's do that this morning as we Uh, Open God's word. Look with me again, if you would, in verse 16. It says, the disciples went up to Galilee. And they went up to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, that I have all authority on heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we talked about the fact that that's what we're supposed to be focused on, but then he gives definition to what we're talking about, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. In the current church culture, I would argue that there's a great number of churches slash individuals that misunderstand the term disciple. We think disciple is somebody who knows a lot of stuff about the Bible. 
Can I just say I'm for biblical education? I've taken two degrees in theology. I've spent a lot of money on the, on the plaques that are in my office saying, Hear ye, hear ye, Zach Nicholson has done a lot of theological study. I've spent a lot of hours studying the Bible and studying what people think about the Bible. I am all for theological education, but may I say to you that, that smarts doesn't equal discipleship. That's important for us to understand. So some of you may have looked past me and you may have looked at these boats. You may be saying, what in the, why did Pastor Zach bring his shoes on the platform? Because I want for you to have a visual aid of what it really means to make disciples. If you are to make disciples, you're not just simply teaching somebody something. You're helping them, excuse me, you're helping them take their next steps in following Jesus. You see, it's one thing for me to say, listen, this is what the Bible says. It's another thing to say, now come, come with me while I help you walk that out. That's discipleship. Discipleship is about connecting with people and helping them take the next steps. Now you may say, hey, I need somebody to help me take my next steps. Correct. Correct. In the kingdom of God, we need relationships in which people are investing in us and helping us walk out obedience to Jesus. And we need to be walking with people, helping to teach them what it means to take their next step in following the Lord. So I just want to be clear. Discipleship isn't simply an intellectual activity. It's something that you have to be active to do. You have to walk out your faith. Now, another phrase in there that I really want for us to notice is the phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized yet, after you decided to give your life to Christ, this would be a good moment for me to just say, you should. You should. Well, will I lose my salvation if I don't? No. Can you be saved and not be baptized? Yeah. Then why do I have to be baptized? Well, think of it this way. You don't have to be. You get to be. Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. And he says, baptize them and teach them how to obey what I've commanded. And so I would just say to you this morning that if discipleship, is, if actually following Jesus is important to you in your life and you haven't been baptized yet after you decided to follow Jesus to give your life to Christ, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's talk. Let's talk, you and I, on the side. Let's discuss what, what we need to do to help you follow through and to be baptized as you seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know that there's an emphasis on baptism. We know that there's an emphasis on teaching them to obey. Not just teaching them what Jesus said, but teaching them how to observe it. Teaching them how to obey it. Because isn't it true when you sit down for Bible study sometimes, you can read the text and you know what that means, but it can be hard to do. 
I mean, I think of the, I think of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think of the scripture where Jesus says, if somebody smacks you on one side of the cheek, whack, then I want you to turn the other cheek to him as well. Now, Ernie, if that ever happens to me, I need you to disciple me. I'm going to need you to be right there with me to teach me in that moment what it means to not just know what the Scripture says, but how to do it. Hallelujah. Because it's one thing to know what it says, but it's another thing to do it. And at the fellowship, we want to be about doing what the Lord has called us to do. Now, yes, it means we have to know what that is first. We have to be diligent and good students of the word of God. But discipleship is about taking what you know and and working that out and learning how to walk in that. So now, what we've done so far is we've said we need to be focused on the command. We need to be clear on the definition and, and thank the Lord, praise God. We need to be confident in his promise. And maybe this is what you're here for today. Maybe you needed to hear this promise just said over you. Maybe you came in as a wounded warrior. You've been fighting to serve God and live for him all week long or all month long. And you're broken inside and you're exhausted and you're tired. And you just need to be reminded of what Jesus says to his disciples in the scripture. He says two things. Both are incredibly important. He says, all authority rests with me. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth. All authority is mine, Jesus says. And then he says, and as you go to make disciples, be assured of this, I'm with you. Not for five minutes, not for one missionary journey, Not for a season. Jesus says, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. What a promise. Can I just be honest with you? I need that type of promise. If I'm going to hear the call to make disciples, if I'm going to hear the call to refocus my life, to focus on the things that God cares about, and to be focused on discipleship making, Instead of seeing how rich I can become. If I'm going to focus on discipleship making. Instead of how popular I can become. If I'm going to focus on making disciples. Instead of what I wanted my life to look like. If I'm going to go into all of the world and make disciples. And get dirty with people right. Like roll up my sleeves. And live in the trenches with people. As they struggle to follow Jesus. I need that promise. I need to hear Jesus say to me, I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. Maybe you need that as well. Maybe you need to be reminded that doing the work of God doesn't take your power. It takes God's. And he supplies that. That's what's so beautiful about this passage is he says, I have the authority And you and I are going together. Lo, and lo, I am with you always, even 
to the very end of the ages. Now, in a second, we're going to do some next steps. What, what in my life needs to be examined? But before we do that, can we just look at that question, who was given the Great Commission? Because the first two verses of this, uh, of this section is interesting to me. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. What a mouthful. These are the people that got the Great Commission. These are the people that we're here today because they got the Great Commission. We are here today because these 11 disciples met Jesus up on the mountainside in Galilee and they were given the Great Commission. So they must be just fearless warriors, right? No, they were normal, everyday, broken and confused people like you and I couple of things. First, the Great Commission was given to a small group of people. I don't know how many people were on planet Earth at this time in the Scripture. But I know that of all the millions of people that were alive, there were only 11 on that mountainside. So don't think that a small group of people can do something profound. Because the Great Commission was given to 11 people. A small group of people. Worshipful, hopeful disciples. However, they themselves struggled with doubt. Can you think about this for a second? Why in the world would Matthew, when he's writing this fantastic command, this fantastic commission in which Jesus commissions the disciples to go and change the world. Why would he include something so unflattering? I mean, of all the things they could have said, and they were brave for going out when the Roman guards were on guard, and they were fearless because they went to the mountainside, even though Jesus had been crucified just Sometime earlier, and they worshiped. Matthew could have left out the part that some doubted. But he put it in there. Why? Listen, I don't know Matthew. I haven't met him yet. (laughs) But I know that I am, and I hope you will as well. So I don't exactly know why. But if I know my God, he included it to encourage us. That we don't have to have it all together to be about the work of the Great Commission. Now, that's helpful for me. All of us, right? All of us. Small group of people obeying Jesus and charging up the mountainside, falling down and worshiping. Oh, but some doubted. Listen, you can leave here today And either continue or begin doing the Great Commission. There's nothing so bad in your background that you're disqualified from it. And there's nothing so amazing about you that you don't need to be about it. We can do it. We're called to do it. We're commanded to do it. So what we're going to do is just look at three next steps, some practical things. And then we're going to pray together and then we're going to take communion. 
And what I want to let you know about communion is that you don't have to be a member of the fellowship to take communion. We just ask that you be a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who's made the commitment and surrendered their life to Jesus. But before we take communion, can I just share with you three areas that maybe you can examine in your life? The first is your schedule. I want to ask you this question. Do you have time in your schedule to invest in people and help them follow Jesus? If the answer is no, my brother or my sister, you're you're too busy. I want to encourage you as we think about this month making disciples that we just do something super practical, which is you just think through, have I scheduled the Great Commission out of my life? And I know there's probably a ton of good things in your life. You've got family time and you've got career and you've, you've got a lot of great things going on. But listen to me when I tell you this. If you're too busy for the Great Commission, you're too busy. So would you examine your schedule and ask yourself, Am I too busy to focus on the command of the Great Commission? The second thing I'd like for you to examine this morning uh, now and when we pray and even when we leave for you to continue to do this is your pride. Is your pride. Some of us may be at a place this morning where um, we don't think that we need discipleship anymore. We don't think that we need somebody investing in us. And I want to share with you this morning that it's an unhealthy place to be for anybody. You know, there's people in here this morning who've been walking with God for 50 years or more. And probably all of those people would tell you this morning, I still need Somebody praying over me. I still need somebody to challenge me. I still need a sounding board to go to and say, this happened, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I want to do, what do you think? And so may our pride never push us to a place where we look at ourselves in such an inaccurate light that we don't think that we need somebody investing in us anymore. So every one of us needs two types of relationships. We need the, the, the relationship where we're investing in people, when we're, where we're discipling people, and we need the relationship where someone is discipling us and investing in us. That's a healthy way to navigate the kingdom of God. And the third area I'd like for you to examine Is your friend group, your circle of influence, the people that you see on a day-to-day basis? You may say, well, my friend group and the people I see on a day-to-day basis are not the same. Okay, that may be true. But the circle of influence that you have, may I just ask you this question? Are you on mission with them? Are you on mission with them at your work? on your block, 
under your own home's roof, at your school, to the students. Whatever season of life you find yourself in, your circle of influence, I close with this question. Are you on mission? If you're not, can we change that today? Can we leave with a call to action that says, I will partner with people and by God's great authority and power, I will both invest in people for the glory of God and I will let people invest in me for the glory of God. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to close with prayer. As you stand, I just want to thank you for hearing the word of God this morning. It's been glorious to be under the teaching of the Great Commission, Jesus' Matthew 28 passage. But can we stand and just bow for prayer? I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a season. If you want to come forward to pray and prepare your heart for communion, you can do that. If you want to stay where you are, certainly that's fine. But would you just bow and let's just spend some time praying before we take communion? Maybe this is the moment this morning where you become a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've known about Jesus your whole life. Thought about him, talked about him, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You know he was crucified for our sins. You know he was resurrected in power and authority. But you've never come to that place where you say, Jesus, I'm going to climb up on that mountaintop and I'm going to become your disciple. I want to invite you to do that this morning if that's not something that you've ever done. Just right where you are. If you sense that God is speaking to you, if you're ready to come into the kingdom of God, if you're ready to be a a disciple, not somebody who believes in God, but somebody that has surrendered their life to the Lord. I want to give you time to do that. For those of you who have gotten off focus, you've walked with God for a long time, but when you think about your schedule, you think about your circle of influence, you would say, I'm really not focused on the Great Commission. I want to invite you to just talk with the Lord. Just between you and He, just between you and God. What needs to change in your heart today for you to become a disciple maker? Lord Jesus, we do not take communion in a relaxed manner. We understand the profound story that it declares that your body was broken and your blood was shed. And so, Lord, we take a moment to align our hearts with yours. 
we take a moment to take our eyes and fix them on the cross. We thank you for the glorious tragedy of the crucifixion. And Lord, as we receive communion right now, we ask you to be glorified in taking it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.